everybody. Welcome to Your Real, Your Ideal podcast. And we are Amy Tokus and Sandy Lane. And we are doing a little happy hour this time for our discussion. Because we both had, we had an August and September birthday. And we are here to have a fun discussion about a topic Amy's going to dig a little bit more into. But quick introduction. I'm Sandy Lane. I am enjoying my bubbly champagne. Uh, in the backyard of my home in Durango, Colorado. And just because I can, just like we can have a happy hour, here is my puppy who's joining. Oh, they're sick. <laughs> and just because we are real, he's not going to bark because we got in trouble for him barking too much. So if I have to stop, it's uh, the real is there. There is, it's not a reality show, it is real. So if I cut out a little bit, it's to keep my puppy from uh, uh, asking other people to join us. Amy, how are you today? <laughs> I am good. I'm in my backyard in Omaha. It's kind of chilly this evening or afternoon. I guess it's five o'clock here. So it's a perfect time for a happy hour. And I have a dog situation too. And I'm just going to keep my fingers crossed that they behave and don't bark and interrupt us. You might see them if you're watching the video walking behind me and um, they like to hang out nearby or you'll see one of them chasing squirrels. She likes to chase squirrels. So anyway, but I'm so excited about the topic today. And Sandy, you mentioned we're drinking happy hour and um, I'm drinking some nice Pinot Noir that I got from uh, the Naked Wine Company. I My bubbly's from Naked Wine too. And with birthday month, I got a bottle for free too. Oh, nice. Nice. That's awesome. I am just super excited to be on this journey to learn more about the wine and talk to the winemakers. And anyway, very fun. Thank you for that recommendation. And I've, I've sent out the recommendation to lots of people already. So passing the passing it on. And you mentioned that this is our 10th episode. Like we were asking, is this 10? But this is nine. We're just celebrating a little early today. <laughs> And wherever you're tuning in to us, we now, we do have our Zoom cast that continues to be on YouTube, but we are also on Spotify and Apple, and please rate and review us. It does matter, and we would be very thankful for that. If you, yes. if you enjoy it, put it on there. We'd really like that, and share, too. Super thankful. That gets, yeah, share us. Um, we're having a great time, and we're on, like, six other platforms besides iTunes and Spotify, so... I'm actually kind of excited that um, everybody's taking us and excited to have us on their platforms. So I'm it's like about these platforms, so I might be even more tech savvy. You know, it was a everything is a little bit more of a jump, and I you get used to one, and then as my mother says, then a new one comes out, and you have to learn something new. So that's a good that thing. Very true. Very true. And one thing too, I wanted to add is if you would like, if you're listening and you would like to see. The picture because we did take a picture of what well let's say we will a picture of the screen so not to spill the wine on the computers but there will be a picture <laughs> on our instagram page that we will post in the episode notes uh if you're listening so you can find it there or again you can uh see the links our um youtube page if you want to watch the video too and again please pour a glass of wine with us Right. Enjoy. Back and have a uh, continued conversation. So our topic today, Amy, I am so excited to hear more about this. It's one of those things. It was kind of like when we talked about the happiness factor where you're like, I want it, but I want to hear more about it. Yeah. I love everything about 
you know, let's be real and all these things that I know they feel good and they're things that I like to do in my daily life, but I want to refine and learn more about the hows and the thoughtfulness and mindfulness behind it. So school me. All right. Are you ready? So I'm just going to tell you, I got to watch the clock today because I can talk about this all day long. So you're going to have to be like, okay, we zip it now. We're done. And literally, out for a <laughs> and literally I, uh, one time uh, I facilitated a retreat and I got to talk all day long at this retreat about organizing and being real and that whole thing. And I'm like, okay, I've told people I can talk all day about this. So this is the test. And we were literally talking all day and to the point where it got to the end and I'm like, okay, you guys can go. And they were still asking me questions and I'm like, no, no, no. It's like time to go. You got to get out of here. We're done. We're so done. anyway, it was fun. It was a fun time. And so a little bit about me, I, so I started out as an engineer and did lean manufacturing. And so my thought processes are very, um, lean is like my centering place. I don't know. Can you hear my dog going crazy in the back? I think there's a squirrel back there or something, but anyway, um, so lean is like a centering thought, simplifying, lean, being efficient. So that's kind of my centering um, space. And then when I started having kids, that became my second centering of, you know, applying that all those simplifying and lean stuff to my house and to my family and, and all that. Okay. So then from there, I started working with clients and doing the exact same things. And after many years of doing this, I realized that um, people were really struggling to keep it real. Like they were, they were um, kind of hoping for a magic wand and with their space and their time, they, there was a lot that um, they weren't being authentic to themselves. They were comparing, wanting what other people had. I mean, this is a lot about what we've been bringing to the podcast and talking about prior to this. So this is just kind of a, I'm going to say it's a summary to a lot of stuff that we've talked about on the podcast already, you know? So real, the real is an acronym though. And it stands for, there's four words, the R E A L and the R is realistic. And it's about being realistic. Um, all right. What did you say? Are you going to write it down? R is being realistic. R is realistic. E is essential. A is authentic and L is livable. Okay. And so realistic. So yeah, I'm using the word real and I, the first word is realistic. Okay. And that's, um, about being realistic with your time and your space. Um, I work with a lot of people who, um, they don't know how long things take or they, so they overestimate time, they underestimate time. Um, they pack their day so full that they can't focus on their priorities. And um, typically they're doing other stuff, like their priorities are never on their calendar or, you know, might be, they, they kind of let their priorities happen um, 
you know, hope they just organically happen instead of being intentional about their priorities. And then their spaces, like they'll come to me and they'll say, they'll give me a picture of this beautiful walk-in closet and they'll have a, you know, a, a single door closet that you can't walk into and they'll say, I want my closet to look like that. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, let's be realistic. <laughs> that, 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 just, that, that's the engineering part, right, Amy? You right. know. Yes. Yeah, yeah, totally. That and um, accepting where you're at and trying to make the most of where you're at. And uh, so, you know, the time you only have 24 hours in a day, you can't um, squeeze in more. You're there. We're not super people where we have to be realistic about what we can do and what we can achieve. Um, so then we go into the E. The E in real stands for essential. And I don't know if anybody's read Essentialism, but it is one of my favorite things. Okay. And basically, I got to set my wine down to talk about it because <laughs> I talk with my hands. Um, essentialism talks about we only have so much energy for all of the stuff that we want to do. And so if you have this ball of energy and you say, I have these 12 priorities that means this energy is spread around for these 12 priorities. So you'll just have a little bit of energy for all 12. Whereas you simplify and you identify what's essential, you may say, oh, I really only have two priorities. And then you have more energy to go to those two priorities and you can do them better and you can do more, um, more with them. So. And the other thing about essential is if we identify what's essential for us, which typically, you know, it's going to be self-care. That's going to be a top priority is taking care of ourselves. And then, like, if we look at it like a target, then the next circle might be family and relationships. That's right. typically pretty essential. Right. And then the next ring might be all the other stuff. And with essentialism you start in the middle and you prioritize that time about self-care and family room relationships or whatever's in your center and you work your way out on how you spend your time but what a lot of other people a lot of people do and I've done this many times as I work from the outside end and I start letting all the other stuff run my schedule and my time and I don't take the time for family and relationships and I don't take the time for self-care because I'm too busy. Do you, do you recommend that there's a process of writing things down to try? What, what do you recommend to try to monitor and identify the priorities and uh, track that you're choosing the right things? Is it writing it down? Is there another method? Um, yeah, you know, writing it just being aware of what you're choosing. I mean, that's a huge part of it. And documenting what you're spending your time on. You know, if you have a calendar and you're writing down what you're spending your chunks of time on, it doesn't have to be specific. And then the, the thought is to go back and look at last week and say, all right, so my priorities are self-care. Where was I demonstrating or spending my time in self-care you know was I scheduling my exercising 
you know so you go on a walk every day and if you have it on your calendar you're like yes I went for a walk all these days I had a meeting that I could tell they were going to go over and the meeting went exactly at the hour and I had exactly 30 minutes to get in a 25 minute run and I said when I got to the top of the hour I'm like I have a hard stop because they would have kept going. And I also thought it was a good exercise because I was finding this meeting tended to keep going over every time. Uh And that interferes with everything else. So I think I made a good, back to doing things by accident, I made a a good choice in that. But if I didn't say that, that run would not have happened. That's exactly a perfect example of you had a really good boundary to protect your priority because you know that's essential to your self-care and your health. That's your, so you just, perfect example. Good job. (laughs) I always used to say, Amy, um, I used to call it the squeeze play, meaning that you've just told me something that I hadn't really put my brain around is what happens with the squeeze play is unless you, certain things are going to happen because I've overextended my time. And so by nature, something's going to have to get squeezed out. And if I'm not mindful about it or put something first, And I was always really good about making sure my kids didn't get squeezed out, but there were other things, whether it be self-care, whether it be time for me, you know, I enjoyed doing, but I used to call it the daily squeeze play on, there's no way everything's going to get done. Some things are going to go over and things are just going to get squeezed out by nature. Um, Maybe I did a good job, you know, on certain days, but other times I didn't because I didn't, sometimes it was survival, you know? Right. And that's exactly a lot of times we do get into that survive instead of thrive. We're just like surviving. And I'll tell you, we're at an age where we have a little bit more um, flexibility in prioritizing ourselves because our kids are older and out of the house. And I'm going to say... out hours. Exactly. Exactly. Because when my kids were younger... um, they came well before I did. Like if they had whatever they had going on, I was making sure I was taking care of that stuff. And, you know, I was trying to squeeze in a walk or a whatever I was squeezing in. It was the self-care. I remember locking myself in the bathroom just to have some quiet time when my kids were super little. Cause I'm like, I just need a moment of peace and quiet. (laughs) I, I can tell you, Amy, I didn't sleep as much. I sleep more now than I did then because I got up at 5.15 to run because there was no way I knew that if I didn't run first thing in the morning, that absolutely, because back to the kids' schedule, like now I can say I have a hard stop, but when they call and say, your one kid is sick and I got to get someone, that would be what would be squeezed out. So I did learn, part of it was timing, what things you take care of right away or they're not going to get done. Right. And that's exactly, and typically... identifying what's essential and making sure those are prioritized and fitting them into your day. So when your kids are younger, that was early in the morning. I was walking early in the morning too, I remember. And, or I remember mowing the grass. Like that was my job when my kids were little because it was meditative to me. And so I would just say, I'm going to go mow the grass. You take care of the kids. And I was like, okay. So anyway, that's essential. Um, again, I can talk all day. And so I'm going to, these thoughts, you know, that, that seem to make sense. There's a, 
there's a, a pattern and a rhyme or reason that I can wrap my brain around it. So thank right. you. Right. And you know, this is all pretty simple and basic. It's just uh, kind of getting you centered on if you are, am I being realistic? Is this essential? And then the next one is a authentic. Um, am I being true to who I am? Am I being me or am I um, comparing myself to other people and I'm, am I wanting to be them? So, um, you know, this is all about that the picture, like the picture you took today of us sitting on our patios with our glasses of wine. I mean, that's Instagram gold and right. people are going to see that and they're going to, but this is our authentic selves. I will say that <laughs> we did good. Although I put on lipstick. I don't know about you, but this is, <laughs> yes, but, but we're being authentic. Okay. And yes, this is a great moment that we're capturing and we're going to put a picture up, but that doesn't mean that that's what my life looks like all the time. And being authentic is also revealing your weaknesses. And so I'm really, um, big about like keeping dust in my house. And, you know, some people are like, are you going to clean before people come over? And I'm like, you know, I don't think so. Like I'll make sure the bathroom's clean but I'm not going to dust. I'm not going to frantically vacuum. I always have dog hair on my floor. I can't remember how many times before something that's supposed to be really fun, a family event that I am dying of sweat and I've spent the last three hours running around my house and I'm exhausted by the time everybody came there. Right. Right. And I don't I, do that anymore though. Exactly. Because we've become more authentic and we're also more accepting of ourselves right? I hope that's why you're, you don't do it anymore. <laughs> that's why I don't do it anymore. And plus I always say, you know, the dust in my house will make other people feel better about their space because so what my house isn't perfect. I'm being me. Can I ask a question about authentic? Does sure. this fall into, so back to taking on too much, being real, not being able to say no because you don't want to let other people down um, oh, yes. the whole ability, does that fall under authentic because it's worrying, not putting yourself or your family first, but that fear of uh, the fear of telling people, no, you know, I think of a story about a, a lady that she was, she owned her own business. She was, she uh, talked, you know, she was the opposite of all of this, what we're talking about. And she was having all kinds of, she was telling me about problems she's having with her kids. She didn't have time to do anything. And then in the next breath, she told me, and her kids were all like, uh, at this time, middle school. And she was still coaching the micro soccer team, which she had no kids on it. And I said, why are you doing that? She said, I, I just, I can't tell them no. They ask me every year to do it. And it meant more, she, it was hard. So does that fall in that category? Because to us, we're like, gosh, why would you do that if that's, taking your time because it's really not essential and she didn't really enjoy it but she had a fear of telling them no because they said right. they couldn't find somebody else and it could fall into this authenticity and being authentic to yourself but it could you mentioned essential it could not knowing what your priorities are and making sure your time is spent on your priorities so she had identified what's essential and she had just she's letting other things come in and, doing it and not pulling it out. Right. Right. And also not being realistic about how much time you have, because if she doesn't have time to do it, then she should 
say no. And I mean, it kind of falls under all of that. This not saying no and not having good boundaries is probably um, a culmination of all of these, you know. It took me a long time to figure that no out. And then I found out that people figure out who says yes all the time and you get asked a lot more too. And right. it's very easy to say no. It just doesn't work. And you don't have to give a reason. That's the other thing is yeah. you don't have to give a reason. You can just say it doesn't work out for me right now. And it's not that big of a deal. Right. My greatest permission I got when I had my fourth child and I was super involved up at the kids' school. I was like the brownie leader. I was doing all this stuff. And when I had him in December, and it was a nice breaking point of me saying, okay, I'm stopping. I need to, I don't, I'm not going to have time to do anything. And um, so I started saying no to everything for a period of time. And what I realized was, number one, people still liked me. People still talked to me. It wasn't a big deal. And uh, number two was other people stepped up and took the jobs. Right. And so it was kind of like, oh, wow, look, this can all go on. I don't have to do this. And that was, so that was, well, you got to meet Trevor at the beginning of this yeah. call. That was, he's going to be 18 this December. So 18 years ago is when I finally learned how to say no. And I'll tell you, I've had lapses of, Oh yeah, I'll do that because, <laughs> but it's usually stuff that I think is fun. And so, it, but it may not be realistic <laughs> and it's not essential. Because just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I say this a lot to people in finance because, you know, we can do that. We can just because you can, because a lot of times that, that's the opposite of lean, right, Amy? Just oh, because totally. you can. And I love lean. I was introduced to that too late in life. I, I believe in it and I'm like, oh my gosh, the epiphany, you know, right. this <laughs> just because you can doesn't mean you should. Amy, at one time when all three of my kids were busy in school, I sat on eight boards, eight, because oh, I'm yeah. really good on boards. I'm a very good board member. Just right. because I can does not mean I should. Right. Right. And I'm you probably good. enjoy it. Right. It's great. But, but it was taking away from your other stuff. Let's just say that just enough said, kind of like the lady who was doing the micro soccer. So I'm not being judgy to her. We've all done right. something like that, that when you oh, say it out loud, it doesn't make any sense, but somehow it just happens. Right. Completely agree. Yeah. And I'm going to say, yeah, all of this stuff, um, this real being, all of these things are things that I've learned over time. Right. And from my mistakes. I'm just going to say these were all mistakes that I've probably learned through my children, through uh, bad boundaries, through wanting something that I, I couldn't have, not being authentic to myself and things like that. So, okay, let's go on real. The last letter's L and that's livable. Okay. And that is really about function. I am a huge functionality person and making things so that they function well in your life. Um, sometimes we create systems, processes, uh, things that complicate and create chaos. Okay. okay. I'll give you a, a couple of examples. Um, working with people, you know, right now you see the pretty pantries. 
with all the pretty containers and Everywhere. it's a very very popular post very much on trend okay now somebody who is super organized could maintain that but somebody who is challenged with keeping up with organization and papers and stuff like if they're if that's already a challenge they're the ones who will bring me that picture and say that's the pantry I want and then I'm like all right so is that livable because uh, can you maintain it because the minute we get it all filled up and we get it all labeled and looking pretty you bring in groceries that means you've got to empty all of your groceries into those containers and make it keep looking good you want to do that right it's is that a priority is that it's actually going to look worse because now you're going to have all the containers and all the boxes around it exactly exactly so it's you know is this essential and some people say yes it's essential i can maintain it some people say, yes, I still want it, but you, guess what? You're going to be coming every week and maintaining this for me, which is, that's what we do as our business. But, you know, some people say, you know what? No, I think I want it to be simplified. I want it to be easy to maintain. And so it's finding that livable balance. And, you know, sometimes looking good can be very functional, but sometimes looking good isn't functional. One time I had a decorator in my house and they um, made my living room look great. I mean, it looked fabulous. I was like, wow, I never even thought to do this with my furniture. And But what she had done, she had put a couch in front of an entertainment center that we didn't use as an entertainment center. We used it as storage of art supplies. But she put my couch floating about a foot in front of it. And um, I was like, okay, but that's where all the kids' art supplies are. And, and she's like, well, they can still get in there. I mean, it was like a foot. So, yeah. It, and so I lived with it for about a month, and then I'm like, this is not livable. That My kid, my poor kids were like, you know, trying to get in there, and it was just a mess. I couldn't get the supplies. I'm like, forget this. This looks great, but this is not livable. So we had to do a, a switch. So livable is... Um, making sure things are functioning well and easy to maintain like you have to make things easy to maintain so that they're maintainable because if they're hard it just doesn't work does it does aesthetics go into this too so like i'll use the example in my old house in omaha i love a space to be artistic creative uh to have and i like to be organized i really do uh i, I and it was down in the basement i'm not a good basement person so unless it was at night and I like my kids down there, I like to be in the middle of the hub, I didn't use it because it just, and it was out. And then when one of the kids left, I took over a bedroom and moved it up there and I used it all the time. I made a wall and a white wall and I found it was the exact same stuff, but first of all, I passed it. It was by the laundry room. I could see out the front window. It was right by my bedroom. I could meander back and forth. But just the part where I picked it, it was actually my mom who said, don't, don't make a bedroom, you know, you're, you're, you're using space for some, or an ode to somebody who might use it a few times out of the year. If that's a better space for you, right. put them down in the basement, you know, right. or, exactly. or, or move it over and put an air bed in there or something. But that's yeah. lost. That's your favorite room because it had the best light. 
does that fall under livable is trying to find the best aesthetic spaces yeah yes yeah and yes what you love the spaces you love that's the spaces that you want to be spending your time in and uh, you know the perfect example another example is an office like some people will put an office upstairs in an extra bedroom far away and um, but the mail collects in the kitchen and so they're constantly battling piles of paper and stuff that they want to work on in their office but they're actually like to work on it in the kitchen and sit at the island and you know do all their stuff and so um, they're kind of fighting that that concept of oh but I have space upstairs in that extra bedroom so yeah that's all about making it livable and making it authentic to you just because a craft space might work for someone else in their basement um, doesn't right. mean it's going to work for you. It was forced with me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it didn't give me that. It didn't give me that. It was just such a change. And now I have my she cave and it's the most joyful place I could have because I can go right outside. There's sun and it's just, yeah, and a lot of storage. So I really, really enjoy that. But I find that uh, the other thing I'd have to say with aesthetics and livable is um, I don't know if you ever went through this when you moved. Well, you would do this on your own. But my real estate agent kind of came in. I said, I will take no offense. Tell me what to do. And she said, take everything off of this. Leave your cookbook. Leave this. And we basically moved all this stuff. And you know what, Amy? I liked it like 100 times better when the, when it was clean or like I didn't need all that you you accumulate all this stuff in different places we got rid of you don't really need that end table and she at first she was worried she was going to hurt my feelings I'm like just tell me what to do and I listened to everything she said and Amy I lived in that space and I, I'm like I should have done this a long time ago I actually really <laughs> like this and I'm not missing anything like I never the other thing that came to me back to being livable is all that stuff that was out I never went searching for it or said, oh, I don't know where to find it. So what purpose did it serve by, you know, somebody gave me a gift of an appliance. I'm going to put it on my shelf. And I, what I found is it just took up a lot of space, right? right? And does it take the, I lived in the house for 20 years. Did it take my real estate agent to move things around to give me livable space when I kept adding more and more and more and I never detoxed and took things out? Totally. Uh, you know, I think you've said this before. Sometimes we can't see the forest from the weeds. Like we're just, we're, when we're in the middle of it, we don't even notice it. It just becomes comfortable. It just comes part of our environment. And then when it gets all cleared away, it's like, oh, wow, look at all this space I have or whatever. It just feels fresher and lighter. And, uh, but I'm going to say that's different for everybody because sometimes um, people need the comfort of stuff on their countertop. Some people, I'm, I'm a clean countertop person. Like I, I like everything put away. <laughs> and so, I mean, our coffee pot and a few things are on, but I'm just like, just clear it off. I don't want to see anything. Um, but I'm different. You know, if you go up to my husband's office, he's got papers everywhere and that's comforting for him because, you know, that's he's that's just how it's organized I, I when i worked at the accounting firm it was always interesting to me everybody's offices it's some people worked in stacks clean stacks all over the floor some people and then their desk would be completely clean some people you could barely know how they worked and there was paper everywhere 
some people you would think somebody was on vacation because there was nothing there and or right. lots of screens it was just it was just so interesting how and you know we lived in our offices especially during tax season and so it was so indicative of their personalities and how they functioned and they would be I mean, most people they would find a way to be most comfortable in that space right that worked for them right uh, and, and that's a really good point because everybody works different everybody lives different so livable and authentic and realistic and essential that is going to be defined different for every single person there is no um i have never met a person who thinks and lives exactly the way i do and i don't think i ever would because that means that they're not being original. Like you can be different and think different. You just have to figure out what works best for you. Amy, can I tell you just a little story and then ask you a question of advice? Sure. Yeah, and it goes go for along. it. I love stories. So <laughs> back at St. Wenceslas, I, you know, you, we get our newsletters and they'd say, here's what we need you to do. In fact, we got paper newsletters. And one big thing was cutting off the Campbell soup labels. And oh, yeah. So everybody, all this, oh gosh, I went through so much effort to cut all these off and the little tags. And, you know, I had a million things going on, working full time, owning, you know, my own business. And, and I went through, and then they needed, like, I think I volunteered or somebody asked me and I thought I need to, I did a lot of the finance type things. And I thought I need to do more of the mom type things. And for some reason, it was a badge of honor for me. I'm like, I will organize the Campbell soup labels. So to make a long story short, <laughs> it was pretty easy to do it. And I actually hired my babysitter to not only organize mine, but organize all these other ones and paid her by the hour, went painstakingly through it, went to the next uh, board meeting and saw the finance report and saw that Campbell soup labels brought in $9.86 last month. And I thought, <laughs> I spent all this brain power and I worried about it because when you can't get the sweet stress that went with it, I paid a babysitter. I could have written them a check for a hundred bucks and they would have been 10 times better than what I did to cut the soup labels. So that's my story about how I'm totally went against this. But my question is taking that into account, Sandy being on eight boards at the same time, the woman who's doing micro soccer, are we only holding ourselves accountable? How can we either assign accountability partners to help us see what we can't see? How, how do we, we can all tell the stories of what we've done wrong in the past. How do we hold ourselves best accountable in the present from when we're doing silly things like this for somebody to call us on it or for us to call ourselves on it? How do we act in the moment rather than learning from our mistakes? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I think it's, you know, I say this all the time, it's going to be different for everybody. Some people have to learn from their mistakes. And some people, you know, this kind of goes to strengths finders, you right. know, some people um, need to experience it and need to have the natural consequences to learn from their mistakes. Um, I might say that I'm one of those people I've learned over my five decades. I keep thinking I've had five decades of learning. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Even more than you. And we just had birthdays. Cheers. Right, but yeah. cheers, cheers. But five decades is a lot of learning, a lot of mistakes. So some people 
need that, need to experience it. Um, I think some people need a friend or a coach or somebody like that to be um, honest with them and help point out stuff and say, hey, you know, what are you doing? An accountability partner. Um, me, I personally, I like uh, having people I don't know well and sharing stuff with them and asking them for insights because I know this is silly. This is probably really silly. Um, like if my husband were to tell me, give me some insight on something, I'd be like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Let me think about that one. But like you, if you had given me that insights because you don't see me every day and you're not, then I would be like, oh yeah, Sandy, Sandy said that. I really need to think about that. I can, you know, maybe I need to do better on that. So um, I like to have somebody who's a little bit more, doesn't know me as well and they're still learning about me to ask me about stuff. So that's what works for me. But I, I think everybody works different. And I'm just going to say, we all make those mistakes. Like, my gosh, my 30s, I, I look back to my 30s. My 20s were pretty easy because I only had one kid going on to like late 20s. But my 30s, I had all four of my kids. And I, my head was, uh, my head was spinning, you know, because I was trying to do all the stuff to have my kids have a great life and get to experience everything. And then I was trying to do stuff and I was trying to have a great space in my house and trying to make everything perfect. I was kind of going for perfect. And, um, I, I, I evolved, I've grown up and I've said, you know, I, I'm not going to let perfect get in the way of good. And so I'm going to enjoy the good and not spend all my time trying to get perfect. So anyway, does that answer your question? <laughs> One thought I have is I think if, if people are, don't take things too personally and allow feedback from, you know, like, and again, spouse is always different because it's like, ah, and then I'll think about it. It's like, okay, maybe he's making sense. I know, yeah. <laughs> from my running friends or from you but if I I've found that if I approach things some of the best things I've heard and I'm so happy or the best friendships uh partnerships are people that give me advice and I know their motive is to help me and I take a step back and think about it but part of it is don't take it personally right reflect on it and accept it because then they're going to be more inclined to tell because if you don't they're not going to tell you again and you totally. don't want to close yourself out to that because back to being in the forest right not being able to see through you need those people that see those things for you and once i've given permission to people that i said you know what i never thought about that thank you i've gotten some of the best advice after that, because I allowed myself to be authentic and say, I make mistakes and don't get pissy about it. Don't make, get defensive and just say, if they're coming from, I always go back to motive. If somebody's coming to me where their motive is pure and they just want to help, accept it as that. If the motive right. isn't, then just move on, but don't put negative energy toward either one. And then you will get feedback, you know, back to the 
you know, the eight boards. I think I did have somebody, I don't remember a specific moment, but I think it's like, you know, Sandy, you gotta, you gotta be a little bit more selective, you know, right, and right. how you take those messages will have a direct impact on how many more messages you get. Right. Because who wants right. to give a message? And if somebody goes like this, it's like, I'm, I'm done with that. Right. Right. I think it's so important in all of this, um, not to be defensive, like you said, like to have an open mind and, and assume positive motives. I'm always of the mindset that it's better to go into a conversation, assuming someone else's positive motives instead of, um, maybe negative intentions, you know, like if they're going to give me some feedback, I'm going to assume positive motives. So anyway, this is kind of a different type of conversation, but, um, I think it's important because it, it helps us grow. And so getting input from other people is important. You know, I love the coaching industry. I think having people coach it, like I'm not a coach, but are you a coach? I can't, I, uh, are you? I'm, pretty, I'm, I'm pretty selective though, because to me, a good coach, first of all, a good coach isn't looking for an annuity stream that they're there forever necessarily, depending. And the other side is, is somebody wants to be coached. They have to want to follow advice or think outside the box. I had somebody one time that said, that she felt like she was an asshole, meaning she got asked a lot of things, but they never did anything with it. And she just couldn't. So yes, I coach, but it's pretty selective because it needs to be a good relationship back and forth of trust right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, totally. and forward movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the thing I love about the coaching industry is typically it's they're asking the questions, making you come up with your answers. And I think that is, asshole. yeah, yeah, right. It's asking rather than getting, it's just the, 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 the black hole of going nowhere. You have to right, answer right. the question. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, but anyway, I think that coaching industry, if people are open for coaching, counseling, anything that they need to help them get over the hump, professional organizing, you know, whatever, having that outside, even an interior decorator can come in and like switch a light bulb like your real estate agent did for your house. You know, just having someone from the outside give you a little bit of a push can be helpful. Amy, do we have any time for me to ask one more question or how are we doing? For sure. Time? We're good. We're good. Okay. Yeah. We're right at 40 minutes. So we're good. Okay, perfect. So here's my last question. Um, Sometimes, you know, in following the real, the realistic, the essential, the authentic, the livable, is we do have to deal with other people and how they impact us, okay? Yeah. So, for instance, uh, the example I give is uh, uh, I used to go because I wanted to belong to certain groups and they tended to be more the women guild type things or I wanted to help out with something and we go and we waste two hours doing a facial and I get so, uh, what I say? I would just want to, I'm done with this because it's wasting my time, but maybe there was something, some other part of it that it did have some beneficial cause, but trying to get other people to think through, how can we keep a meeting on time? How can we make the content meaningful without hurting someone's feelings? And then the other example I'll give, and then I'll get, get to my question is once I was introduced to lean and I'm naturally a lean thinker, 
-hmm. I didn't realize that I would use the words and people that I worked with, like even uh, on the job, that I would see that we'd have all these wasted steps or things that would take a colossal amount of time that I'd actually look at them and think you're spending so much time on things you don't need to and you could be home with your families. That's how I'd be thinking. And I would use the language, nope, we're not going to do that. That's just a waste of time. And I finally had somebody pull me aside and say, you know, that you're being really degrading to people by saying you're, you know, you're, you're telling them they're dumb, kind of. Right, right, right. That's how you're coming across. And my motive was, oh my gosh, they're going to waste a colossal amount of time and we don't need to do that. So my question to you is, because life isn't a solo sport and these decisions a lot of times impact other people. How do you best communicate when you're in a cir circumstance where you can't just walk away and say, I'm not going to do it, but you see it not being essential. You see it being, you know, that in this example, it'd be non-essential, non-realistic. You know, how do you best communicate? Because it does impact me. So part of it is selfish because I'm trying to be the real, but trying to get, and these are usually people that aren't your really good friends, right? They're right. right. How do you communicate that? or get them to understand the real mentality in applying it to what we're doing together? Uh, a couple of things. So you can't control other people, number one. So that's- waste your time. Don't okay. even, don't go there. Don't even, I, you know, but what you can do is you can have really good boundaries on what you're gonna do with your time. Okay. And so like when I work with, um, when I work with families or couples, uh, I start with, let's start with communicating what the goals are and make sure our goals are all the same. So we're starting with the why we're doing this and what the goal is. And then if we can come to agreement on that, then we can start talking about the process and who's gonna be responsible for it and who's gonna be doing all those steps, okay? Um, you can't, uh, just attack the process because right. there could be a why through that process of why some of those steps have to be done and sometimes like in work environments it could be a governmental why it could be a legal why there could be I don't know there's always um, there's always why's that I don't know <laughs> that I'm just gonna say about processes so um, that's, but it's a really good question because you can't really control other people. And, but what you can do, like you said, like the, the guild and going for facials and you're like, oh my gosh, we could do better here. You know, like we can spend our time doing better things. Um, is That's your choice. And you get to have that boundary about, yeah, I want to spend time with these people, but is this where I'm going? This is, is this what I want to spend my time on? So um, that's where that question of is this essential or is this not essential and you get determined if it's aligned with what's essential to you. And then I think the other thing I love how you said um, with coaching, like asking the question, rather than making the statement, maybe if it's with people and I'm rethinking this, like let's just say the timeline, not the facials, but the timeline if they always go two hours and it's supposed to be an hour to say, you know, should we, are we committed to make this an hour? Cause we don't want to lose people if it's an hour commitment and we want to be respectful of each other. Should somebody be in charge of watching the time, you know, rather right. than saying, I'm just going to quit. Cause it does. And if they say, you know what, we don't really care, you know, then, then I leave. 
but part of it is part of it is how you communicate it. And I love how you said communication, even with the the coworkers, just because I came to that conclusion, help them get to it and communicate it out. And it might take an extra half an hour to talk it out, but maybe help them work to get to the same conclusion because I'm I'm kind of coaching them too in why right, you're um, asking the question. And something is a you no, know, that's a waste of time helping them formulate how that was not a good process and how there may be a better lean process, but taking the time to get through it rather than trying to just push my agenda. It's not pushing my agenda. I'm being too no, hard. So that's hard. very harsh. You're being hard on yourself. You're right. <laughs> but How but can we get to the answer and maybe I'm wrong. Back to your point. Maybe I've missed something, but let's get to the same answer together. Right. And the goal is, is there a way we can save a little bit of time on this? Like why why are we doing all these steps? And then it's it's a conversation and then it's a uh, then we're trying to figure out, okay, so maybe we can simplify this by skipping that. There's no reason to do that. And then it's, you know, more of a collaboration. Collaboration. Communication instead of a, yeah, don't do it like that. That doesn't work. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. I love that somebody told you though, ah, Sandy, I love that. And it was, after I was told and back to not having a clue, I'm like, oh my gosh, that sounds terrible. I didn't even realize I was saying that. Sometimes in words, you even even things like people bring up, you know, you say this all the time. We get in these, in, these habits of our language that mm -hmm. it's just even, it's not even bad or good that you start using slang or saying something. You don't even realize it until somebody tells you. It's right. that it's that crack in the windshield that the mind's eye can't quite see it right it's so normal to you and i yeah. love i really do love somebody who has the courage to tell me that i often think amy when i hear somebody say oh this person says that all the time or they said oh i'm so aghast i'm like i wonder how many things like that i say right holy oh, <laughs> <laughs> my mind is oh my gosh i'm probably that person i don't even know it yeah yeah, yeah, isn't it interesting? I always think this when people talk about other people and judge other people, I'm always like, okay, what are they judging me on? Because I know that if they're picking other people apart, they're probably picking me apart too. So anyway, that's why I try to judge myself more than I judge others. And I try to make fun of myself more than others. <laughs> I'm so with you on that. I tell a story. You know, it's usually I've got three that go with it. Now, are, Amy, are we on to questions? Yeah. What do you think? Yes, we should probably get on to questions. All right, how do we accomplish this in a world full of consumerism and online relationships? Uh, so here's what I'm gonna say. You have to have a really uh, good filter I usually say, I, so one of the things I always talk about, and I think we've talked about this before, is when I see a picture in a magazine, I always say, okay, that's staged. When I see a picture on Instagram, all right, that's staged. Nobody's really cooking in that kitchen. There's nobody doing homework in that kitchen. Are people really living there? Is there any food there, any mail there? You know, so try to find... Um, 
I don't know when I point out that things are staged for like Instagram I'm like okay that makes me feel better like <laughs> that's not real well, reality TV really isn't real because there's cameramen and there's a whole if you probably saw the picture of them taping for the reality show it's staged at the end of right. the day it's staged it it's might staged. not be edited it is it's it's edited but yeah. it's staged and so People believe because we live online, you know, what's real and the, back to your real idea, your idea where we got this is yeah. you start with your real and you set your ideal. And a lot of it is to get away from our world full, full of those pictures of what we're supposed to look like and how we're supposed to act and what life is supposed to be, which are staged and not real. Right. And trusting that it's okay. That's okay to be who we are. Amy, did I go into the second question already? Oh my gosh. Or finally, if I did, we can blur. I, I started. That's to okay. Real <laughs> in these situations. What's the ideal? I didn't mean to like. You did. That's good. You gave a good answer to that. <laughs> is there any real in these situations? I get, is it bad to want Maybe, maybe if it really is, I think I go back to you, if it's livable and it's something you want, you know, whether it's a pantry well, that's perfectly marked. Yeah. If you can maintain it, it is a-okay. It's got to, you've got to bridge your reel with that reel that you want. You know, yeah. if I think, you know, I'm going to look at a magazine or watch a reality show and say, I want to be. I don't even know what's the big reality show now. What's the big reality show? All I can think of is The Bachelorette. The Bachelorette. Um, but that that is so not real. I watched a few episodes with, and again, I I do laugh when people say, "Oh, I just I I know it's not real. I watch it for trash TV." It's no different than us watching General Hospital when we were, but we knew it was General right. Hospital, right? Right, right. It was right. life to live. We accepted that. That's okay. But if you see it as being real that's where you get off well and our title is your real your ideal it's not our real our ideal and this is how you should live but it is it is our podcast but it's helping um hopefully everybody be more accepting of themselves and what their real is and what their ideal is and it's gonna all be different of um what's realistic, what's essential, what's authentic, and what's livable. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm better already, Amy. I'm putting it me all through. You know, I, uh, me too. I always walk away from these conversations with a little nugget. And it does, uh, it, it reinforces a new thing that I just started. I actually separated lists. I have, because all those tasks that go through my yeah. head that I want to do. And I put all the tasks. I actually found I like I like paper. I do. I love, and it's a really I, there's a trigger boo. I think is what's what it's called. And it has like the old fashioned task and brilliant ideas. And I've got these like I come up with these ideas all the time. I'll put them on my brilliant idea sheet. And then I have tasky things. Do this. Do this. Do this. And they they uh, they tend to run run run. And then I have right in front of my computer. Here are the three things that have to be done today. Here are the important things. And I prioritize the task completely separate from that. And the brilliant ideas, I'll keep, you got to work the brilliant ideas when you can. <laughs> I love the brilliant ideas. <laughs> and it works for me. 
because I'm good about writing things down and I do like to highlight and cross things off my list. But darn it, if I don't cross those things off the essential list, I'm putting myself in the hot seat. And if I got only half the tasks done, you know, like today, one of the, I, I was going to make something for dinner. I had this big idea and I'm like, I can't go to the store. And we ordered online Papa Murphy's and I'm like, Garrett, can you pick it up? And can you do this for me? And we worked together and the essential stuff got done. Nice. Good job. And I got my run in. Sometimes, yeah. And sometimes all that stuff takes compromise and not letting good be good. And it's right. a good. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be perfect. Okay, how about a wrap question? All right, wrap question. Okay. I love this so question. Go we ahead. are keeping in mind that Amy, August was her birthday month, my birthday month. Happy birthday, Sandy. We're in our fifth decades, which we've talked about. So another cheers. Happy birthday. Cheers. So our wrap question is, what is the one thing you wish you did before you turned 30 that you didn't? What is the one thing you wish you did? I, I'm acting like a game show host. I'm repeating. I know. Go <laughs> um, first or second? I'm going to go second because I I read this different. And so I was answer, in my head, I had a different answer. But now I'm like, oh, okay. So go ahead. You go first. I wish I would have traveled more and accumulated less. I envy my kids for if they want to pick up and put their stuff in their car, you know, they, that they, the world is kind of their oyster. And I really admire millennials for having that attitude because that wasn't the general attitude when I was in my twenties, it was finish college, get married, buy the car, buy the house, buy, buy, make more money. And now I'm enjoying some of those things, but I think I would have enjoyed them with more freedom and youth in my twenties. I think I would have gone overseas. I would have, I would have, if, if I would have done anything different, I would have traveled more and accumulated less. I would have saved it for later. Yeah, and I probably yeah, accumulated as much as I, I, a lot of accumulation stuff. If I had to do any of that over, I would have accumulated, consumed consumerism less than half of what I did, including toys for my kids. There was a lot of stuff that. I know. Isn't it interesting looking back? It was like, okay, that was like the goals. I remember being in college and that was my goal to accumulate a house, to accumulate a car, to accumulate New cars. Oh, animals too at a young age because they take work unless you're going to travel in your vehicle. You know, get all these, get the big house, fill it with the yeah. furniture, and yeah. it's oh. getting higher and higher. So the, the one thing I wish I did before I was 30 was probably do... Um, I like it. Sorry. <laughs> um, I'm going to say the thing that I probably did, I wish I would have done is I wish I would have lived in an urban setting. Like I've never lived in a city and you know what? My children are living in cities and they're having so much fun and they're, they're doing the same thing your kids are, but they're in, they're in these urban 
settings. They have less stuff and they're, um, you know, they're walking to restaurants. They're, they're using public transportation and doing all that stuff. And I never did that. I and that. I'm like, that looks like so much fun. Now, I'm just going to say that's on my agenda for future. I'm planning it. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see if it comes to fruition. But I'm just like, I want to live in a city and I want to enjoy city life. So we'll see what happens. I love it. It's never too late. And that's, that's one thing I realized too. If you don't do it when you're young, you do have some opportunities once you become empty nesters to try to do those things again. Totally. That's a very true. Yeah, the problem is the 20 years in between. <laughs> like... And I did, I did enjoy um, when we lived in Boise, Idaho. We lived, again, not urban, but what I did enjoy is we lived in the heart of the city. I didn't have a car. And yeah. I had my road bike, but then I had my mountain bike that was like my utility bike, my, my cruiser. And I named, my bike's name is Abe. Everybody knows my bike's name is Abe because he was my road to freedom. And because I could go every time my bike. I love and, it. But <laughs> the heart, it was always noisy and cars and, and I loved it, but I kind of got it out of my system. Because when we moved here, we even talked about living downtown. And again, not urban, but, but kind of that living in the downtown area. And right. it's, I, I kind of got that out of my system now. That was fun. But now I kind of want to live out in the mountains a little bit. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I still need to get it out of my system. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. It'll be a future podcast episode. All right, 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 right. This is great. I got tons out of this, Amy. Thank you. Thank you for letting me talk about this. It's true. It is dear to my heart. I can, um, I love helping people find their real. That's like where I'm at and that's what I love to do. All right. Our next episode, we are going to be talking about Talk less, smile more. And anybody who has seen Hamilton knows that Hamilton was given this advice. Smile more. And I actually write that down at times now. I, of course, I binge watched and listened to the soundtrack of Hamilton. And I'm like, this is good advice for myself. And we pull out and this sparked a lot of comments and interest. So that will be our next episode. But until then, Cheers. We're still, Cheers. We're still in September, so we can keep celebrating. And I liked doing the outdoor, uh, rather than coffee, we did the outdoor venue. So thanks everybody for listening. And Amy, until next time.